Hello and welcome to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. My guest on today's show is Chris Sabella. Chris has a new book coming out, being published by Aftershock Comics, Cold War. The book is being released on February 14th, Valentine's Day. The artist on the Cold War is Hayden Sherman. You may have seen his work on Dynamite Entertainment's John Carter, The End. And Hayden joins Chris for Cold War. Oh, but this is not a love story. Here's a description. Panacea Cryonics offers its customers life after death by keeping their heads frozen until the day technology can rebuild them free of disease and death. However, as these everyday people from the past are revived, they are not handed the keys to a new life, but a gun, body armor, and an ultimatum. They must fight in a war against unknown opponents for unknown reasons to secure their place in a brave new world that doesn't want them around. Now, Chris has written other comic books, including Ghost for Dark Horse Comics, Shadow Man for Valiant Entertainment, Kiss Vampirella for Dynamite Entertainment. I will talk to Chris not only about the Cold War and Kiss Vampirella and Agent 47, but we're also going to talk about his earlier work as a writer and contributor for various websites and publications, his compulsiveness about music, and the playlists that he makes up for his comic books. With the Christmas holiday just around the corner, please consider sending me a gift in this form. Rate and review Creator Talks on iTunes. Your feedback and support is greatly appreciated. Now let's join my interview with Chris Sabella, here now on Creator Talks. Chris, welcome to Creator Talks. Thanks for having me. You have done so much work for so many different publishers. Ghost, Dark Horse Comics, one of their strongest books that they created back in the 90s. Shadow Man, one of my favorites of Valiant. Kiss Vampirella, something very different. And coming up soon, The Cold War through Aftershock. And I will get to that one in more detail, plus other books you are working on. But how are you managing to keep all these things in play? I mean, do you have a system? I have a system myself that I use. I use a Google Calendar to keep me on track for my own work, outside of work, and I have a calendar for work. How about you? How do you manage to juggle all these things? It was only this year that I started using a to-do list. Up until then, I've just been kind of keeping everything in my head, really. But yeah, I'm trying to get a bit more regimented about it so I things don't pop up and surprise me. I don't know. It's, you know, it's, uh, I'm, I'm doing the thing that I've always wanted to do. So, uh, I sacrifice a lot to make it happen, but I spent so much of my life doing jobs for other people, jobs that I hated putting myself out supremely for, for other people that doing it for myself, uh, seems really, really easy in comparison. Well, you seem very disciplined because that's one thing a writer or an artist has to have. And you're working from home. Mm -hmm. My wife works from home. And there are a lot of distractions around the house. Oh, maybe I should clean this. Oh, maybe I'll go for a walk. Maybe I'll read for a bit or take a nap. But it really takes some discipline to set your own structure when you're not in an office environment. Yeah, and I'm still kind of struggling with that. I do a lot of my writing out of the house uh, at coffee shops mostly. Yeah. I mean, working from home is hard because I'm surrounded by all the things that I've purchased to, uh, you know, enjoy my life. Uh, and they're all just kind of looming 
uh, asking to be played with. So it's definitely difficult, but yeah, I don't know. Like uh, actually this week I've been having a real trouble sort of wrapping a thing. So uh, earlier this afternoon I went and rented a car uh, for a couple days and I'm going to go to – there's an all-night coffee shop out in Beaverton, Oregon, which is kind of semi-responsible for my writing career uh, in terms of it like being a place that's open 24 hours. That's where I'm going tonight to try and knock out the rest of this script. That's really like – the closest I have to an office, I guess, uh, I'm just working on getting better about working from home and, you know, trying to dial out the jillion different distractions. And I'm still not great at it. Maybe in a couple of years I'll get there. But for right now, it's just a constant struggle of like, you know, I'll write a page and then like, mm, maybe I'll see what's on Twitter. And then, you know, it's like I have to constantly keep flogging myself to like, OK, like you you had your breathing space. Now get back to it. It's not easy, but I've been freelancing for the last 11 years, so uh, I still haven't figured it out. So I don't know that there is one easy solution to it except to like be born with discipline, which I wasn't. Well, you know, I like to get out the coffee shops too. For some reason, I like to be surrounded by people, even though I may not be interacting and it can get a bit noisy. And for me, if it gets too noisy, I pop on some headphones to kind of block things out. Mm -hmm. But I find that I work better there. Like even this evening, I stopped by a local bar, pulled out my notebook and just had a beer and started writing some notes. And I just, you know, there's a lot going on around me, but I don't care. I'm just, I feel comfortable that way. And I, sir, just happen to be in the mecca of coffee shops. I am surrounded by a Dunkin' Donuts, an Einstein bagel, a brouhaha, and a Starbucks. So I have my choice of places that's pretty to good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm spoiled. Now, you, But you found a place that's open 24-7. There's not many places that do that. Uh, yeah, that's actually one of a couple places. Um which is weird because Portland is a very it's a very sleepy town. Like everything tends to close around 10 p.m. for all of Portland's reputation as being a weird central. It's very restrained in in that case. But for luckily, uh, yeah, there are a couple different 24 hour coffee shops. If it wasn't for those, I don't know that I I would be a professional writer right now because the like the the one my main sort of coffee shop like that's that was like my my oasis like I would spend all day working like flatting comics and doing graphic design work and then I would go to this place anywhere from like 8 to 10 p.m. and just work until you know 2 or 3 or 4 in the morning you know it's nice to have a a place you can go to uh, that's reliable. And also it's far enough away that like it puts a little bit of a guilt complex on me in that like, okay, dude, you just spent like 25 minutes driving out here. <laughs> you better get something done. You can't just come out here and like goof around. It's the one magic trick that always works is like, I need to write 10 pages tonight. If I go to the coffee shop and I just like put on my headphones and dial in, then I can do it. I haven't exhausted its magic yet. If anything, it's gotten like more magical for me and now that it's now that it's harder for me to reach. Now you mentioned doing some flattening work. You have done besides writing, lettering, you've done some coloring too, right? I mean you've had your hand on many different aspects of creating comics. Uh yeah, I haven't colored. I could never coloring always eluded me. Like flatting, which is, you know, the step before coloring of just breaking out a page into shapes. I could do that, but 
color theory i just i don't understand it uh i wish i did like that was the one element i kind of always wanted to learn i kind of had to pick my battles so it's like uh, first i gave up flatting and just this year i've given up lettering now i'm just kind of mostly you know 90 percent writing and then 10 percent like project management and some design work for like the books that i'm doing through two-headed press or something yeah coloring is a it's it's beyond me. It's a very difficult skill because those that do it well do it so well. It really enhances the artwork, the pencil, the ink, or whatever they may be using to create the work. But it can really make or break a comic book. So to be paired with a good colorist, someone who really knows what they're doing, can really elevate a book. Yeah, and I've been lucky to to work with some really good ones, and I and I have no idea how they do it. It might as well be you know uh, magic, uh, for, for all I understand it. And also just like, it's so subjective, like something uh, colors can come in that I will look at and go like, this looks great. And then I talk to the artist and they're like, this looks horrible. I've just kind of learned to play to my strengths and my strengths are not in colors or, uh, even lettering. It was like, I was always just okay at it. I was never great at it. Now that I have the opportunity to kind of hand it off to, somebody who like hey this is my gig it's just a lot easier for me it like takes a lot of the pressure off and now i can just like focus on writing the million books that i'm writing well the important thing is though that you do have an appreciation of it you have taken a shot at it so you have some understanding of what the person has to do who's doing that particular task and i think all of us now especially more recently over the past few years have a greater appreciation for the art in and of itself of coloring. It's not just, oh, yeah, it's that one more step after the pencils and inks are done. No, it's it's a very necessary, and it's an artistic step in and of itself. It wasn't always seen that way. Yeah. Comics definitely has a lot of issues, but I feel like in the last few years, people have stepped up and kind of you know started giving uh, everybody in the process they're due colorists as well as letterers and editors like it's hard to make a book where like there's unless you're some sort of genius you can do it all yourself you know you got to work with other people so yeah i was lucky enough to my entry into comics was kind of on the lowest rung so like flatting comics is you know an invisible job nobody ever gets credited for it and you barely get paid for it and doing that for so long you know it's like oh well i i get what it's like you know labor in the trenches and have just have your work completely ignored or just like not commented on at all so i think it, it brought me into comics through a very sort of humbling channel well getting into comics there was a path to that and you worked outside of comics for a while as a writer a contributor to various publications websites savant comics alliance all of the work that you did outside of comic books, how did it help prepare you for comics? How did it get you into comics writing for those other sites? I don't think it did, really. I mean, uh, maybe just like deadlines. It definitely taught me the importance of like, here's when you need to have a thing done and maybe you're stuck and don't know what you're doing, but you kind of have to shove all that to the side because people up the chain need this thing written. This space is being held for you, so you got to do it. And taking notes and edits i feel pretty good with like when i get notes from an from an editor i mean i kind of value them like that's one of the reasons i i got into comics was like i wanted to get that sort of constant notes process so i could see like here's where i'm screwing up and here's what i need to fix 
Um, and here's the things I need to work on. But otherwise, like, yeah, all, all the like sort of journalism writing I did, I, I don't know that it really prepared me for comics, except maybe just like talking to people to complete strangers. Like, I don't know. I mean, that's a, a reason I work at the coffee shop, too, is like being able to see how other people interact uh, and how they kind of approach the world via language and stuff that's as close to prep as i can see you know i've always wanted to be a writer so like just anybody paying me to write anything was like that was that was a reward unto itself and just like you said the discipline because a lot of people have ideas they want to do things but having the discipline to stick to a schedule and make a deadline because there are some great ideas in comics that were not executed well and some books for example i won't mention any i shouldn't say what they are but there are some books that never finished like an issue came out and then it never finished which is which is heartbreaking especially when it's something you really enjoy and i see i see much less of that now but back in the 90s there was some problems there where some books just never got finished and there are ones i really wanted to see finished they never did i I mean as as heartbreaking it is as it is for a reader I, i you know, I haven't really had this experience, but I can only assume like it is triply uh, heartbreaking to the creators who are like, you know, you start every project just thinking like, you know, you're just super excited about the book. And like you you just are kind of occasionally mulling over like, here's the ideal things that could happen. Uh, and then when none of that does, like it can definitely be super disheartening these days. And I think a lot of it is down to publishers like putting in stuff in place to keep that kind of stuff from happening keep books from like starting to come out and then it's just like hmm it's been four months i wonder what's happened with this book like i think publishers in general like they know that that retailers don't like it and you know readers don't like it so i think they've definitely leaned more into like we have to fix this before it becomes a problem and i think I think they've mostly done that. You give the writer and the artist some lead time, but you know you you can't like have them do the entire thing in advance because people have to get paid and you mm-hmm. can't do all the work. I don't think people always understand that. Like, why did they get it all done first in advance? Some people do. They'll go through like Patreon or Kickstarter, finish it, get backing, and then go to a publisher. And they've got all the work done. Now they have a wide distribution. Great plan. And they already have a following. Other people do it different ways. Sometimes things happen where they have to get in the fill-in artist for the book because they can't get the artist to finish it, which for me sometimes is pretty disappointing. And it happened with one title that I'm reading right now because the art changed so dramatically. It went from a very realistic style to a very different style. And the whole tone of the book changed. Same writer. Still liked it, but something changed so drastically. I'm like, oh, man, that's probably going to hurt. And keeping that consistency is really important. And your books have kept the consistency. And we'll talk about that soon. But I want to ask you about one particular publication that you wrote for, because I find it really interesting, not only who you wrote for, but what you wrote about, because it was some things that are used today. Uh, When you wrote that article for Heating, Plumbing, and Contractor News, Mm -hmm. and I was like, wow, that's really different for you. (laughs) Anything else you've done, but you're like, hey, I'll figure it out, and I want to write, so I'll do it. So you did it. And what did you write about? People have seen these items around. Yeah, I wrote about, uh, uh, I think I only wrote two, and they were both interviews. And the first one was interviewing a contractor who installed, like, heated floors, whatever process. I don't remember anything about it anymore, but whatever process 
uh, allows your floors to be heated. So I interviewed that guy. Clearly did not take a lot away from it. The other one was the guy who basically kind of invented the the like booties that like contract workers put on their shoes before they come in your house so they don't like track crap all around. So yeah, I had to somehow make that interesting enough to fill up two pages of text, which was not easy. Yeah, like you said, it was like, well, they're paying and uh, you know, I'm I'm always up for a challenge. So yeah, I'll do this. Uh, and I did it. And then I was like, well, this is clearly not what the rest of my life holds. So uh, I had the experience and now I can sort of move on to doing something slightly more relevant to my life, which is anything other than like <laughs> heating or plumbing. It's like I use them all the time, but I don't understand them. So. <laughs> Well, but, you know, I appreciate it because I was a longtime fan of this old house way back when it came out on public television. And I saw mm -hmm. the episodes where they put in the radiant floor heating that was developed in Germany and they run all these tubes under the floor. And initially, America was kind of like, oh, I don't know if we want to use that technology, but it became proven. So it's, it's very effective for bathrooms. We have tile and the floor is cold. I don't have it. I'd love to have it. But I don't have it. I have to wear slippers. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know anybody who. Ha I mean, the closest I've come to knowing somebody who has it is like I think they they discussed it on an episode of Breaking Bad once, uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I know about that stuff. Uh, so that's as close as I've come. But something else we share in common is music. We both love music. And next to comics, besides digging into different titles and different stories and artists and writers. I love digging into different kinds of music, and you've developed soundtracks around your books. Yeah. Songs that just dreamed up because they fit, and you're very compulsive about your music. You just dive into different things. There was one album that you listened to. This is probably just hyperbole, but 150 times, like a 90-day period. One of my favorites, David Bowie's Heroes. Yep. Have you wrung everything from that album? <laughs> Is there still some some left for you to listen to? Uh, I think I have. I haven't gone back to it in a bit. Uh, so, yeah, but that's how I am with music is like I will find a thing and that whatever it is speaks to me at that moment. I am just a dude who will like I will use that thing up until I am completely tired of it. And it's like, uh, I can't stand to listen to this ever again. Uh, and then I just kind of put it on a shelf and eventually, you know, all these things cycle back in. Mm -hmm. So um, at some point I will I will come back to the German period of Bowie. It's just like for whatever reason, I just get hung up on things and I and I can't stop. It's, it's really compulsive sometimes. Yeah, I'm that way, too. I kind of immerse myself into something and I will like certain periods of a particular artist like Bowie's Berlin period. Mm -hmm. Or I'll go into the glam period and, and listen to a lot of that. Or I'll listen to stuff he did in the 90s and just kind of immerse in that. But I, I can put it on the shelf. And then you know, about a year or two later, I'm like, ah, I want to listen to that again. Same thing with the Beatles. I might, I'll listen to it, love it, and I'll be like, okay, I had enough. And then in a year or two, maybe three, I'll be like, ah, I'm going to pull that back off the shelf. I'm in the mood for that now. So the really solid music that really has staying power we can always go back to. There's some things I never go back to. I heard them. I'm done. They just didn't have enough, I don't know, complexity to them or interest right. for me to go back and listen to it. It was, like, it was fun. It was kind of like a piece of candy. It was, it was a nice sweet treat, but eh, I don't want to go back and make a meal out of it. But the, some of the stuff I can. The Berlin Trilogy, they reissued all that again as a box set. And just some advice. I listened to Lodger remastered, remixed the way it was meant to be. 
because the initial recording, they could not get the studio they wanted to, uh, David Bowie and his producer, Tony Visconti. They remixed it with Bowie's approval before he passed away. So the soundstage is more open. It doesn't sound as compressed. And right. if, if you're tired of listening to all the records, this one's, to me, it was like listening to it again for the first time. If they had a Grammy for the best remastering, I'd be like, that's the album. So songs like Night Flight, uh, Boys Keep Swinging, most of it is exactly the way it was in the album. It's about 2% that's a little different. So you'll hear some slight differences in the way they mastered it and some of the riffs in there. But for the most part, I'd say 98% is what you heard, but it's so much clearer, so much better separation. So for me, that makes that stuff come alive again for me. And I'll listen to it again and get everything out of it that I can. So if you haven't heard it, eh, you know, download it. You might enjoy it. I mean, I listened to a lot of Bowie like after he died. And then I was like, okay, well, I have to sort of put this down for a bit. So I think I'm coming back around to the place where I can start listening to it again. So Now, are you a, a CD person, download person? Or are you one of those that you have the vinyl, you have the turntable? I do have a turntable. I mean, most of my listening, uh, for better or for worse, happens on Spotify. It's just easy enough to have it. It's in my pocket, like every piece of music I could want without having to worry about storage and stuff. I download the albums that like I love and want to have copies of. Yeah, for the most part, like I just kind of build playlists and stuff on Spotify. And that's that's where most of my music lives these days. Yeah, a lot of artists are doing that now. A lot of uh, comic book writers are doing that, like Alex DeCampi did that for one of her books. I know a writer, John Sims, for his Kickstarter, Descender, created a playlist of original music. So a lot more are doing that, and I think it adds a lot more depth to the work. You don't have to listen to it, but if you want to really get immersed in it, it really helps set the mood and to remove you from your environment around you and really get you into the book. I do it for myself. Like if readers of the book like it too, that's all the better. But yeah, ultimately, like I, I build these playlists for myself to kind of get myself in that headspace. For some books, like I've done playlists, like for Welcome Back, I, I made a playlist and like I know that people still listen to that, which I think is cool. I haven't really gone back to it since the book ended. Like it's just another piece of the puzzle i guess it's another way of prep it's like doing outlines or something it's like yeah i've already put in the work and i built this sort of playlist that i feel like works for this book i just know that like okay i pull up this playlist i hit play and put my headphones on and like i can sort of be in the zone right away without like i have this thing where you know if it's music or trying to pick something on netflix like how many different things can i scroll through find the one thing that speaks to me at this very moment and like i lose so much time to that stuff so it's just a way of like you know i lose time putting these things together but ideally it saves me time down the road your most recent work the cold war it's being published through Aftershock Comics. Just to give everybody an idea what it's about, because when I saw the, the description of this in previews, I was like, oh, well, I've got to talk to Chris about this, because this just sounds too good. Mm -hmm. It is about a group of individuals who have themselves preserved, frozen, in hopes of a cure in the future. And they also hope that, too, in the future, it'll be a better world. And when they awaken, they get plunged into a war. They are now soldiers for a war. They don't know anything about the war, whose side they're on, what sides are fighting, but this is what they wake up in. So this is a really great idea, a great concept that you've come up with. Thanks. I have like certain subjects that I get 
fixated on for whatever reason. And cryonics has always been like one of those subjects uh, that just me personally, like I'm definitely, I don't know, I'm, I'm vaguely sort of into it. I don't really have the money to get my head frozen uh, for the future <laughs> yet, but like down the road, like I'm not opposed to it. Like I think it's an interesting concept. It's like, well, if you're going to die anyway, like might as well just like freeze your head and just like maybe, maybe things will work out. I mean, yeah, it was born from that. And then just trying to think of an angle that, that made it kind of cool for lack of a better word i wanted to deal with it but i i wanted to deal with it in a way that like wasn't just like here's the story of a man who got frozen uh like i i I wanted it to to almost be like a cruel joke of like oh i put all my hopes into this thing and like my head was severed and like deep frozen and finally you know hundreds of years later technology has come about that will regrow my body and bring me back to life. And after all that, then as soon as I wake up, somebody's sticking a gun in my hand and saying like, well, you have to go out there and fight if you want to stick around here. It seems like the ultimate kind of stick in the eye. That was really like the Genesis was just like, Oh man, like what would you do? And then from there, it's just like, I built up this sort of huge mystery, like, even for myself, I had to figure out what is this all about? But that's how I know like a book works for me is like if, if I'm intrigued enough and like if I don't have all the answers right away, if it's a thing that I have to really wrap my head around to struggle and, you know, figure out like in a way that makes sense to me logically and story wise. So that was really the genesis. Once I started figuring out a lot of our main characters, that's the thing that like really really stuck me in uh it's kind of the ideal thing like and it's a book i've been wanting to do for several years now and i haven't really lost the urge uh in all that time like i had a false start with another publisher and then that never happened but i was just like i gotta do this book like i i just i can't shake it so i have to do it at some point or it's just gonna haunt me forever you've been paired up with an artist through aftershock hayden sherman Mm-hmm. Who, when I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, he did John Carter at the end, which I got that series. And that was through Dynamite with Brian Wood doing the writing. The art really struck me. And I was like, there's something about his art. You know, it's not what I usually read. And I thought back to this show on television back in the 60s. Maybe you've seen it. Wild Wild West with Robert Conrad. And they had that opening with the animation. Oh, no. Ah, okay. You can YouTube it. His style kind of reminds me of that. And... What they would do on the show is have this animated beginning, but that style of art, just like maybe you've seen this, maybe not. I'm just dating myself. (laughs) The Lone Ranger cartoon series back in the 60s. Again, it kind of reminds me of that style. So for people who remember that and maybe haven't seen Hayden's art, it's kind of like that. Kind of like that. That's the best way I can describe it. But for this particular future story, this almost like a future horror story where these people wake up and now they're thrust into war. People that are a young woman, an old lady, I mean, like of all walks of life being thrust into this nightmare. And Hayden, he's doing it all. He's taking care of, besides the writing, which you're doing, the art, the color, the lettering. He's doing 
the work of three people. He's he's superhuman. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Like he's he's talented enough that he could just do the art and just kind of lay back on that. But um, I definitely never pictured the book looking the way it does now. But I, I always feel like that works out for the best. And I try not to get too locked into visually like things that I I'm writing. Like I try not to settle in my head on like this is how it should look you give the artist some leeway to use their own interpretation you don't give them very strict directions on what to draw my favorite quote about writing for comics um was from joelle jones uh who said like just give me an action and an emotional beat and get out of my hair um i read that i was like oh man like that yeah that's perfect the only people who will ever read your scripts unless you make them public is uh you know your editor your artist your colorist and your letterer i'm not writing scripts to impress anybody i try to keep them pretty tight and just be like here's what happens on this panel here's where everyone is on a very rare occasion i will suggest like a very specific visual i mean i think i did it on a script for a book that's coming out next year and I just had this this very specific image, and luckily the artist really liked it. And I've been lucky when I do come upon a thing where it's like, okay, I think it should look like this. Luckily, every time I've presented it to the artist, they've been like, oh, yeah, I like that a lot. Half of the book is you writing it, and then the other half is the artist drawing it. And you're each kind of telling your own story this same story and there's no easier way to kind of bum an artist out or take them out of the process than by being annoyingly specific about like okay like it has to be at this angle and it has to look like that i think the best way to do it is just back the heck off give them enough direction and you know even if they change things wildly i always feel like that's for the best and makes things better. Very rarely am I like, oh, you totally screwed this up and you got to redo it. More often than not, I'll see it and go, that's not what I intended, but actually I really like what you did here and I'm going to I'm gonna tweak it to make it work for this because I think that's an interesting angle that I never would have thought of. I just feel lucky that I get to work with so many good artists that like I don't want to, uh, for lack of a better word, I don't want to piss them off. I try to stay out of their way and just do my job. And my job is to write a script that isn't overloaded, that is easily readable, and you know that tells uh, a good story, ideally. And the synergy between you looks great from the preview pages that I have seen. And you write soundtracks for your books. Mm -hmm. Have you a few songs together, and will they appear on Spotify, and when will they appear? When the book is released or before? Uh, they're up there right now. Yeah, I don't know how to link to it. I guess if you go to Spotify and just search for Cold War, you could find it under playlists. I don't know that I put album art with it. But yeah, I, I've had one of those in the works for a bit. It's a pretty aggro playlist, like... I think at least a dozen songs mention either die or kill. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's just the title of the song I think fits with the book. And sometimes it's the content of the lyrics. Sometimes I will listen to a song and be like, oh, this is, I don't know, it's super weird. Like you will listen to a song and be like, this totally describes the book I'm writing. This is talking about stuff in this book that I hadn't thought about. Uh, but now I want to kind of pivot and deal with that. 
you know, I have playlists for books that aren't coming out till next year um, that haven't been announced yet. You know, I'll share them with the artists and be like, you know, if you're interested, I've, I've made this, but, you know, no pressure. And then ultimately, once the book comes out, you know, hopefully if people like it enough to want to seek it out, I think it makes for a good accessory. I mean, it's as close to like a commentary track as, as I've gotten in comics. And so this is coming out on Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. 14. Probably by the time this comes out, pre-orders will be closed. But if people want to get the book, I urge you, go to your comic store and please ask them to get a copy for you before it comes out. Because I love Marvel. I love DC. I buy both their books. There are some that, not both their books, listen to me. They've got hundreds. But I buy books from both companies. And and there are certain creators who I love their work and I buy them regardless of where they are. And that's pretty much the way I work. But if you want to get something like this, you know, the smaller publishers, they need the support. So please tell your store they can get it for you. Don't wait to the last minute. Don't be that one that's sad on New Comic Book Day and you don't have a copy because, you know, you see the preview art. Go ahead and look it up. Look at the covers. I mean, you have Juan Doe also doing a cover. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's great. It's it's just awesome. Now, there's a couple of the books you've worked on recently. One just wrapped up, Kiss Vampirella. It's going to come out in trade also in February 227. Now, that's interesting. Kiss is probably not your kind of music, I would guess. I've never been a big fan of Kiss. I mean, I before I started working on the book, I kind of outright disliked them for no better reason than just like I think Gene Simmons is kind of gross. Um <laughs> So, so yeah, like, you know, I'm definitely not a dude who can separate the artist from the art. Like, I've had way more experience with Gene Simmons as just a uh, famous person. Uh, you know, I've definitely heard Kiss growing up, and it was just like, okay, I get it. That's just not my sort of deal. I definitely got into them a little bit when I got the book. I don't think I've listened to Kiss since I finished writing the book. I mean, that was probably the hardest. The Vampirella part was pretty easy but trying to figure out how to make kiss work in a way that like worked for me and wasn't just constantly rolling my eyes at (laughs) at all this was was harder um but that's you know that's the reason like i like to do some of these work for hire and licensed books is they're they're like puzzles that you have to figure out and like they're challenges like when i was offered the book i had no idea like you know, my, my editor was like, well, what do you think about Kiss versus Vampirella? And I was like, I have a million thoughts and, and <laughs> most of them are like confused. So, but, you know, I was just like, well, give me, give me, a, you know, a day or two to figure out a story and I'll pitch you something. And, you know, I just kind of like sat down and figured out a story that I'd want to tell regardless of like. You know, if it was Kiss or just some random rock band, I liked it a lot. And I figured like, well, I'll pitch it to Dynamite. And if they don't like it, then I'll just say no. And it's like all I've lost is, you know, a couple, maybe like two hours of work trying to figure something out. And I can always take that idea and turn it into something else down the road. But they liked it a lot. And they were like, let's do it. And I was like, ah, crap. Now I have to actually like write it. Uh when I started writing professionally, I never would have pictured myself doing a Kiss Vampirella book. But that's that's sort of the fun thing of comics is like you can stumble into something this weird just every day. You're a professional, you know, so you, you want to get the job. You want to get it done. So, you know, you don't hold your nose and say, I'm not going to do this. You 
find a way to make it work. And that's what she did. And I mean, I was never a big Kiss fan growing up as a kid. I was aware of them. I knew what it was all about. And I thought, yeah, it's a bit theatrical. I was, you know, as, as a young dude, I was just like, well, top 40 is about it for me. And then, true story, I was raised Catholic. So for my confirmation, I got two things I remember distinctly. One, a Bible. The other, Kiss Double Platinum from my uncle. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> that's a good combination. <laughs> You couldn't get two more different things. Yeah, But yeah. it's like, oh, you'll love this. It's Kiss Double Platinum. I'm like, yeah, cool. And I'm like, I don't listen to Kiss, but I did. Yeah. And, you know, there's a few takeaways. I mean, I have my short playlist on my iPhone. I, The songs I really like that, you know, I think are pretty darn good are Strutter, with their first single. Uh, Calling Dr. Love is just cheese, but I sure. like it, you know. Hard Luck Woman is good. It's good. I like it. You know, there's a few there that I think are, are classics. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. But you're making something of it. And and the art. Tell me about the art team on that book because I saw that art and I was like, oh, wait, wait hold on here. This looks pretty good. Don't dismiss this right away. Who is your art team on that book? Anna Paola Martello drew it. I think it's Valentina Pinto did the color. Yes, yes. So yeah, and I, I lucked out like uh, they they work great together. That was a book that like, you know, I wrote it and I was like, well, I hope I hope they get someone cool for it. Um, and when I saw Anna Paola's pages, I was like, oh, man, she is so good. Like, I really lucked out. I kind of just wanted to turn it into a book about rock band. Like she draws people playing music really really well fortunately she can also draw like demons and uh women with wings and all sorts of bloodshed too so it's a really gorgeous looking book that i i wasn't expecting it to to look anything like that but again like i i try to leave myself open to the experience if people missed it the first time around don't worry trades coming out you can read it in one shot and I am going to check it out. I'm going to put all my Kiss Double Platinum record <laughs> and read it. <laughs> well, I don't have a record player, though. I have to go out and get one. But uh, another book you're working on, and you're a busy guy, Agent 47, Birth of the Hitman series, and your artist you're paired up with, again, Jonathan Lau. Hey, not too shabby. That's pretty good, man. I don't, that's the fun thing about work for hire stuff is like you get to work with artists that you – never would picture that you'd be able to work with so yeah getting like jonathan on board was awesome again that was another book that like you know i've played those games and i really enjoy them but suddenly like being tasked with writing the story behind those games was like i don't know if i can do that so I don't, i've just been having a lot of fun like they they gave me a copy of the game to play through the newest game to play through which like really sort of uh was very helpful in sort of getting myself in the headspace. But ultimately, it's like, yeah, I, I just wanted to tell a really good story that, you know, just so happens to feature Hitman. And ideally, I've done that. Like, I've been really happy with it. And, uh, you know, the second issue just came out and I think looks really great. Like, so much of comics is just like a big question mark. You just never know how things are going to turn out. And luckily for me, like, all these things seem to be turning out pretty well. Well, besides your discipline... You do have flexibility and keep an open mind. So I think that's what's really helped you so much with being so successful and having so many books come out. And also, I do commend your discipline with gaming because I'm not a gamer myself, but I know people that when a new game comes out, they go nuts. They'll be up 24 hours playing the game. You couldn't get any work done if you did that. You're, you managed to find time to play the game, 
and get the work done. Yeah, you definitely need to prioritize stuff. And um, since I've been writing full time, my gaming has definitely gone down. It's just like so few outlets for me to just like, I just want to like turn my brain off for a couple hours and just like, you know, with like Hitman, I just want to like run around and like stab dudes in the neck and like <laughs> see if I can, you know, it's just a self-contained mission. Like I just want to see if I can do it and get out. You know, it depends on the game. Sometimes I'll just like find a game and then suddenly it'll be like, oh man, I'm in trouble now. Like <laughs> I really have to start budgeting my time. But, you know, so much of my approach into comics of like trying to break in, I just had years where I, it was like, I had nothing going on and like I would, you know, wind up playing like, you know, sticking like 50 hours in the Skyrim or something. So, um, so, so yeah, I feel like I've put in that time and now it's like I can be a bit more casual about it and just kind of dip in and dip out. But you know, I'm still susceptible to like looking up and it's like, why is it three hours later than it should be? That happens with me working on podcasting. I'm like, I'm almost done. Let me just a little more time. And then it's like, it's an hour later. Like, yeah. Oh, no. And uh, I have to budget my time for comics as well, because I get my Wednesday fix from the comic shop. I have my books that I pick and I don't have a favorite. I order them because I like them all. So it's when I get to them, but I'm also reading stuff about the people that I interview. So I have to budget my time. But I did have a chance to uh, read one of the books that came out last week. I don't know if you had a chance to see it or you heard anything about it. It was Batman Annual 2, Tom King, Lee Weeks. Right. I read it. I was like, oh, my God. For a single issue, this is the best book of the year. And I said to my executive co-producer, Mrs. Calloway, who's never on the show, but she's behind the scenes keeping things together for me. I said, honey, you got to read this. I mean, I know you're not in the comics, but this book, you, you got to read it. Okay. Leave it out for me. Okay. I'll leave it out. The book's back on my nightstand. Did there you, you read, go. Did you read it? Yeah. Okay. Nothing said for like an hour, and I'm like, what'd you think? He's like, oh, you know, it's a comic. I mean, you know, it's it's okay. Yeah. I said, really? <laughs> so I'm, I'm alone in this love of comics because it was, it was really amazing. And she's just not into it, but that's all right. She allows me to do this. <laughs> so thank you, dear. <laughs> You've been very generous with your time. So... I just have some fun questions for you. Okay. What do you like to do for rest and relaxation besides the video games? When I do allow myself a night off, I usually I just tend to like load up a couple movies and like order a pizza. I mean, I think the hardest part about being a full-time writer is that, you know, your brain is so centered around storytelling that especially with like gaming, I'm so unconcerned with the story and games. I like tend to skip it's like, I just want to run around and do stuff. So, yeah, like having a movie night or something is a nice way to, like, these are the stories, you know, movies are like a big part of my life. Storytelling in movies has just strongly affected my storytelling. So being able to, like, I'm going to, like, just let myself sink into someone else's story for a bit. I spend a lot of time, like, playing catch up on my comics because the first thing that happens when you become a, a full-time writer, at least for me, is, like, my writing that's not involved or associated with my books it's like nil you know if i'm reading it's it's homework mostly so trying to like carve out time for myself to like i'm just gonna read a book yeah i, I don't do very many exciting things um and now that i don't have a car anymore i don't i don't really go a lot of places like 
I'm just like really invested in like making this writing thing work. So I'm willing to like kind of sacrifice all the stuff I used to do to kill time to put that towards writing new pitches or tweaking a script or, you know, a million other different things I got to do. And you're reducing your carbon footprint, which is a mm-hmm. wonderful thing for you to do. Thank you. Um, Anytime. <laughs> now, if you were stuck on a deserted island and you could only have one book and let's just say for the sake of argument, you can watch a movie. Some way there's a way to watch a movie. What's the one book that you'd want to read? And one movie that you could probably watch several times to uh, help pass the time. Yeah, on a different day, I'll have a different answer. I mean, right now, I maybe I'd say like the essential Harlan Ellison. It's like this big, thick tome that kind of encapsulates a bunch of his different writing. And I don't know, that just popped into my head. So I'm going to go ahead and say that because uh, there's still... I probably have only read half of it, um, and I know that half is good, so maybe the other half is just as good. Movie-wise, I'd probably say like Midnight Run, just the movie with uh, Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin. It's like a comedy action film from the, the late 80s. I don't know what it is about that movie. I, I think I, I came to it very late, and then when I saw it, I was like, this movie has everything that I like, like and it has like really great actors, and it has... like good action scenes but like really leans heavily into the comedy and like i've probably in the time that i've rediscovered it i've probably watched it at least a dozen times so uh, i would hold that hope that it would at least last me on the island until i got rescued off the island now what is your beverage of choice coffee more than anything i've also sort of developed a a taste for for energy drinks when like coffee's just not doing it for me and i need like the the ritalin isn't working then i jump to meth uh like (laughs) that's how i look at it is like coffee's my ritalin and then like energy drinks are my meth and it's like all right i really got to get something done i'm gonna crack one of these open so it you know it goes in stages but yeah coffee is my most consistent like if i if i go a day without it one i tend to like start getting horrible headaches but i'm totally not addicted to it and 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 also just like the coffee shop itself is just like you know a refuge for me so and i don't know i could drink tea there i guess but that just feels weird coffee is my morning drink and that is my comfort drink too i just enjoy the process of turning on the brewer and pouring the coffee and sitting back and relaxing and having that while i'm working on stuff final question if you were an action figure what would your accessories be it would be my backpack, cigarettes, a lighter, a weed pipe, a cup of coffee, and I guess my phone. I do carry a knife, but it's a small knife, so it's not very exciting. Um, <laughs> it would have to be a pretty big action figure for you to even like see it clearly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of, uh, yeah, again, like... I feel like I'm coming off very boring in this because no. I am. No, um, no, 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 not at all. And and you're very practical too because backpacks are a wonderful thing. I've used them since college. Even in the workplace today, besides carrying a laptop, I throw everything in there. You know, I have a Tide stain stick because you never know when you're going to spill something on your shirt. And if sure. you don't, if you don't have a stain stick, folks, have the Purell handy because that has gotten me out of some tight spots. For me, my age, glasses go in there. Uh, anything I need chargers for my phone so it is like my go bag it is like my man purse i always have it with me (laughs) yeah yeah same here now do you have any cons planned next year um the only ones i'm 
locked into are Emerald City and Heroes, and I think I might be doing C2E2, but that's kind of it. I, I did too many cons this year, so I'm I'm kind of dialing back. Well, it's got to be hard for you because as a writer, it's kind of tough to write when you're at a con, whereas as an artist, you can kind of work on some of your stuff if you're not doing commissions or in between. But for a writer, it's got to be a real setback. I mean, you know, it's definitely, uh, I think, uh, you know, I initially I did a lot of cons just because I was like, yeah, why not? Now it's just like, well, I, you know, like you're giving up sometimes, you know, a weekend, sometimes like four or five days. And so it's a lot of like having to balance is this going to be worth it? You know, and I'm not going to cons looking to get rich, but like, I'm just looking to like, at least like not lose money because, you know, I'm already losing money by not working on those days, you know, instead of like working on my writing, I'm working in public relations or whatever you would classify cons as. So uh, for the most part, I kind of treat cons as like a fun thing if possible. Uh, which is why I'm dialing back to just the ones that I really love because uh, I know that like, okay, I know that I will have a good time at these shows and then all other shows are like, well, I don't know about those. Like it could be a, a total nightmare. You know, I just kind of like, eh, I'll wait and see if somebody wants to offer me something. I'm, I'm more than willing to weigh them. But, you know, I'm next year. I think I'm just going to like I need to like balance my whole work life thing that was my goal for this year and that didn't really work out so i'm just gonna like roll that over into next year and see if i can make it happen yes chris please pace yourself we want you in the game for a long time because we like what we're seeing (laughs) chris thank you so much for your time being very generous with it and thank you for being on creator talks yeah anytime thank you for listening to this episode of creator talks The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't miss a single episode each Thursday. Subscribe. It's free. A new interview will be available each week, and sometimes there'll be a second, maybe even a third interview that week. You can send me feedback and comment on social media. I can be reached at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm also available on Instagram, Creator Talks Pod. There I will post pictures while I'm on location, as well as my Saturday Silver Age or Older and Sunday Bronze Age Spotlight comics from my personal collection. Don't forget to visit my website, creatortalks.com. There I have listed the latest episode on the homepage, plus a playlist of all the episodes to date that you can listen to online or download. In addition, on the site, I'll be posting my recommended reading picks as well as written interviews with creators. Also on my YouTube channel are video interviews with creators on location at comic conventions and elsewhere. I know you have a lot of entertainment to choose from and a lot of podcasts to choose from as well. And I thank you for making the time to listen to this one, your best source for comic book writers, artists, and creators. There are more interviews in the works and you never know who it might be. It is my distinct honor and privilege to speak to these creators and bring you those interviews each week. I'd like to thank my executive co-producer, who makes this possible, Mrs. Calloway. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.